Justice Millet is convicted on five counts for for faking a hate crime. Deconstructionism continues to grow within the church, and we discuss progressive Christianity. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is God of Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make it a podcast. So if you always want to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use, and it is also free. All you do is record your audio from your phone, computer, laptop, wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can monetize it with sponsorships and donation buttons, and you can distribute it to sites like our podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out at Anchor.fm or download the app. Again, it's Anchor.fm. Or download the app. Alright, so we are back. I hope everyone is having themselves a great week. So we have a lot to get to today, so let's jump right into it. And so, the big story has been happening this week is the trial of Justice Smollett, who was on trial for, um, allegedly, uh, faking a hate crime. And he was actually convicted on these, on the charges he was facing. But before we really get into kind of the trial and everything, we need to go back and kind of get some background on this whole story, where where it started and all that. Because it's quite, it's very interesting, a very funny story at that. So, Justice Mollett is, he was an actor. He was, um, during that time when the attack happened, uh, he was on a show called Empire, which, I mean, I have not heard of it um, before before the attack came about, but it's most, it's, I mean, <clears throat> it's a somewhat popular show, if you will, but it's not, like, big, like, Lost or something like that. It's not, not it's popular, but not, but big popular. But anyways... And so, you know, he was an actor, one of the characters on the show. And so, it was, this happened in January of 2019. So this was about almost three years back. About around like January, more towards the end of January, like January 29th, 28th and everything. So allegedly, it was a, he was in Chicago. He lives in Chicago. So he's walking in the middle of the street in most Chicago. At 2 a.m. in the morning, he was going to Subway to pick up a sandwich, which, I mean, I've never heard of a Subway being open at 2 a.m. in the morning, but I guess um, there are some out there. I mean, it's probably especially in the middle of cities like that. Probably stay open 24 hours or so, but anyways, so he went to pick up a sandwich and everything, so when when he picked it up, the story goes, as he's walking out, you know, walking down the street, he was approached, from what he said, by two white men wearing MAGA hats, red MAGA hats, and they proceeded to beat him up, calling him uh, racial slurs, like a slur for a gay person and a slur for a black person. And most of y'all know what I'm talking about. And, you know, they proceeded to apparently pour bleach on him, and then tied a rope around his neck and everything. And so, and you know, telling, telling this is MAGA country and all that. So apparently, 
from what Smiley was saying, there were Trump supporters in the middle of Chicago at 2 a.m. And so, this story was very not believable from the start. For one, I mean, you talk about in the middle of Chicago, one of the bluest cities in America, and you so happen, this guy so happens to be walking in two in two a.m. in the morning down the street, and is somehow recognized by two random, apparently redneck white Trump supporters, and they recognize him for from the show Empire that they apparently were fans of or whatever. And they attacked him. So that's very unbelievable on, on that part. And also, just the whole circumstances of, you know, what happened afterwards. Just, he would not be, he he wouldn't, he first off, when the police arrived, he told them to turn off the, um, the body cam footage, or their body cams. He would not turn over his cell phone to the police in order for them to find out kind of details of, of where he was and everything. Because he's hiding some details. And one of the most funniest parts of the story is that his sandwich somehow survived the attack. So there was camera you, you don't We don't have any camera footage of the actual attack. But we do see some camera footage um, of him walking away from it. And during the course of the attack, he somehow held on to the Subway sandwich. Fully intact. So given all the given all the that details, it was very unbelievable from the start. And so as we go through the next few weeks, it became apparent that he actually staged this attack. So he um, hired um, some of his uh, two Nigerian friends of his to I don't know uh, go out. Do do this whole plan to attack him, to pour bleach on him, and and, and everything. And I don't know. I I still don't know the full motivation of why he did that. I, I my guess is just for become more, get more money, become more famous, and all that, because he was kind of dwindling down as an actor. So he probably did that to get more attention, which is pretty pathetic, honestly. But I mean, that's that's how the story goes. More as as time went on, more evidence shows that the attack he wasn't attacked. It was at he was a it was a stage attack. He did it on purpose. It was it was completely fake, and he lied to the police about it, which is why he's being charged in the first place. But regardless of all the details that came out, all the circumstances around this case. You, of course, had the left, the Democrats, the media, were all on board on, on this thing. All on board. Believing Justice Millett because they believe the narrative that America is a systematically racist country and all that, of course. So, they wanted to latch onto anything that could fit that narrative. But, of course, with this, this didn't really fit the narrative because it was a fake. It was a fake hate crime. It was a hoax. So first, uh, let's go through a couple, a few tweets right here. So the first one is from our beloved president, Joe Biden. 
And here's what he tweeted out. What happened today to Justice Millett must never be tolerated in this country. We must stand up and demand that no that we no longer give this hate safe harbor, that homophobia and racism have no place on our streets and or in our hearts. We're, we are with you, Jesse. Alright, the next tweet comes from uh, our beloved Vice President Kamala Iris, and here's what she tweeted out. Justice Millett is one of the kindest and most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexually or sexuality or color of their skin. We must conf- we must confront this hate. Well, got news for you. It turns out he did that to himself. And you know, justice, justice actually is coming. Justice will come, but he will be sharing the cell with the guy who who, who attacked him. But I want to I want to get to I want to kind of hit on real quick, um, just in case if y'all didn't know, um, not only is he black, he's, he's also homosexual as well. So that's why there's, there's this whole big hubbub around that. So next tweet it comes from Cory Booker, who's a senator or yeah, Senator Cory Booker, who ran for president, and here's what he tweeted out: This vicious attack on actor Justice Millett was an attempted modern day lynching. I'm glad he's safe. To those in Congress, we don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill designing, designating lynching as a federal hate crime. I urge you to pay attention. Because, yeah, remember that, this, again, it's back in 2019, remember the whole hubbub around the anti-lynching bill it was, it was centered around this case right here? And it turned out to be fake in, in the first place. It's pretty incredible. The next one comes from uh, Congresswoman... Uh, Rashida Tlaib, and here's what she tweeted out. When one of the most famous, sorry, <clears throat> I'm sorry, over. one of the most fame, when, sorry, when one of the most famous black and gay men in America are, is not safe, the, metrics, mes- the message is clearer than it has ever been. The dangerous lie spewing from the right wing is killing and hurting our people. Thinking of you, Justice Blood, and my LGBTQ uh, <laughs> W-S-Y-N-Z neighbors. And uh, she was tweeting out an article from GQ. And so the next tweet, the last tweet I'm going to read is from Maxine Waters. And here's what she t- tweeted out. Oh, excuse me. Jesse is my friend, a very talented and beautiful human being. It is so hurtful that homophobic haters would dare hurt someone so loving and giving. I'm dedicated to finding the culprits and bringing them justice. Jesse did not deserve to be harmed by anyone. Well, I got, I got great news for you, uh, Maxine. His attacker is is going to be um, uh, receiving justice. I mean, it, he is. <laughs> I mean... Seriously, I mean, the media, Democrats, were all on board. I mean, this came a big campaign thing for the Democrats in 2019 to use against Trump, of course, because they, they the attackers were apparently Trump supporters. So apparently, uh, Justin Millett's a Trump supporter. That's news to us. I mean, anyway, so 
They use that against Trump, calling him, he's the reason for the attacks, calling him homophobic, racist, and all that, the, the usual nonsense. I mean, it was pretty, pretty incredible. But it's, again, not surprising. I mean, this is the same media that falsely accused Brett Kavanaugh of uh, sexually assaulting a woman or several women. The same media that um, falsely accused and smeared um, some students from uh, coveting Catholic high school. The same media who went after um, Kyle Rittenhouse, accusing him of um, murdering people in cold blood. And the same media that went after Trump, accusing him of colluding with Russia, colluding with uh, Ukraine and all that. And I can, I can go on and on and on. So this is not this is not really surprising at all. I mean, again, the same media that says that Michael Brown was killed in cold blood, even though the evidence shows the contrary that he was killed for attacking a police officer. So it's not very surprising that they will go go down as right. It's really not surprising at all. It is it's still, but it's still pretty astonishing just how low they'll go. To just hold on to their narrative is pretty. It's actually pretty impressive, honestly. I mean, they um, once they hold on, to, once they have a narrative, they will they will stick to it no matter what, which is again, it's pretty impressive. And so, um, as time goes on, you know, Justice Millett is eventually he's charged for lying to the police and everything, like kind of. I guess messing with the uh, investigation and everything. And so, you know, he was um, sent to trial. And so when the trial comes along, he is... He he had six charges against him. And he was found guilty on five out of the six. And so pretty much all five of these counts have something to do with lying to a police officer. Like... Let me kind of go through, through real quick. So let me find find it. So here's kind of like count one and two. This is according to Fox News right here. Count one accused him of telling responding um, Chicago police officer Muhammad Beg at around two forty five a.m. for some forty five minutes after the purported attack. He was the victim of a hate crime. He said two attackers put a rubber on his neck. Count two referred to Smollett, telling the same officer he was a victim of, of a battery, describing attackers, attackers beating and pouring bleach on him. And counts three and four stemmed from Smollett uh, making the same claims, but to a different officer. And count five accused Smollett of again telling Murray at around 7.15 p.m. that he was the victim of a battery, Count 6 referred to Smollett, reporting on, on February 14, 2019, to, de- to Detective Robert Graves that he had been a victim of an aggravated battery. And so he was found guilty on pretty much all except for the last one I just read. I don't know the full t- details of why, but probably just the details of aggravated battery didn't really... F- uh, all that didn't really fall into this case. That's probably that why it was dropped. But again, he was found guilty on the first five counts. 
and is likely to face about 20 years in prison for this. Which, again, I mean, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, it's, it's pretty unfortunate. Just what some people would do just to get money and to get fame. Or he, I mean, that just tells you just how broken he actually is, honestly. Just how broken Smollett is. And so, what encourage like, especially Christians to do, is definitely pray for, pray for him. Pray for his heart, to God, for God to infiltrate his heart, to, um, you know, br- draw him to for um, repentance and surrender to him. And to to save him from his sins and to give him eternal life. Pray, pray for his salvation, that he comes to, comes to it. Because he's he's also very broken. They if, because he he finds validation in money and fame, and he did that. He did this did an entire thing just to hold on to that, and which is it kind of it's sad, kind of sad to me. It is. And so I do pray that he comes to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and Christians all over should pray for the same. But one question before we move on, one question we need to kind of really ask is like, why is the story, why did the story blow up in the way it did? And the simple answer is, is because just the narrative, the lies have been told about America by the left for years. So according to the left, America is a horrible, evil, racist country down to its bones. And that, pretty much, for example, black uh, oh, sorry, police officers are hunting and killing black people every single day because they are black. And that, and it's black people are being discriminated against, minorities being discriminated against every single day in this country is is all nonsense. I'm not saying America is a perfect country. It is far from a perfect country. Far from it. We've had many issues, but today in 2021, the country is not a systemic racist country. It simply isn't. There are races in the country, yes, but it's not. We don't have a racist system. That is that is simply a lie. But fortunately, the left believes this this narrative. That's why they want to hold on to stories like this. But the, but the problem is, stories like this really disprove their narrative because, I mean, if America is so deeply racist, why would you need a fake? Why, do, why would you need to pay attention to a fake hate crime as proof? And there's been several instances, smaller instances like this all over me. Like for example, a swastika being painted on a uh, a synagogue, <laughs> but that was apparently it was done not by someone who was not a Nazi. It was done to as a way. It's, it's a fake hate crime. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's been so there several other instances all uh, for for a while. Many stories, especially within that past few years. And so, if America is so deeply 
racist? Why, <laughs> why there's so many fake hate crimes? It's only in a in a country that is not systemically that is not systemically racist that you need to find fake hate crimes to in order to hold on to your narrative. But the thing is, of course, I think that their narrative is dying every single day. People are waking up to the narrative, you know, and looking around saying, no, this is simply not the case. It's simply not the case. And thankfully, many, even um, African Americans are waking up to this. Because they've been told all the lies that no matter what they do, they can never get ahead because of the color of their skin. But slowly, a lot of them are coming to the realization that, no, we, we they were lied to. We were lied to. I mean, we're not being held down. Because of our skin color, we're holding ourselves down because we believe their lies. So we're going to ignore them and pursue whatever God uh, wills for us to pursue. And that's exactly what, I mean, what shouldn't happen. Because, I mean, it's pretty pathetic that we have a side of this, a side of this in the political sphere that's telling people that either they're evil because of the color of the skin or they're automatically victims because of the color of the skin. It's a, it's a, it's a, just an evil, evil philosophy, evil, evil ideology, theology, is it evil theology? I, I consider it theology, honestly. This way it goes about. I mean, this is critical race theory on its face. And thankfully people are waking up to this and I hope over the years that people, more and more people wake up to the nonsense that the left and progressives are pushing in this country. All right, so before we move on to the next topic, we got to um, first you can head over to YouTube or the God of Greenball to check it out. So not only get the rest of this episode regarding deconstructionism in the church, but also progressive Christianity and also the good stuff and bass of the week. And remember to find the show on the podcast, Spotify, or wherever there's a podcast. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is the God of Reem Show. Alright, so let's continue on right here. And I apologize if y'all hear something in the background. It's kind of it's raining right now. So I apologize if y'all hear that. Hopefully I can kind of get that out in the audio. But you might you might hear just a little bit. But anyways, um, let's move on to deconstructionism. So by the way, what in the world am I talking about when I'm when I say this? Like, what is deconstructionism and specifically related to the church? So what it is is um, basically deconstructionism is basically you if you're in the faith you deconstruct kind of the details of your like kind of the theology around it. You know, they kind of deconstruct, you know, what you believe and then kind of eventually you reconstruct into some new beliefs. So sometimes it's a be good thing. Like say if you come out of the Catholic Church for years, you know, in the false doctrine of the Catholic faith and everything, and then you eventually come to like a full saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to full surrender and repentance. And then once you start, you know, reading the Bible and everything, you come to, you know, the realization that everything you learned 
as a child that was false. And so you deconstruct that part of your faith and to reconstruct it into a biblical understanding of it. And so I mean, that's kind of the better example of how it can be used in a good way. So, but the way I'm talking about today is the not so good way. It's more of a falling away from the faith than really just reconstructing into a reforming. Honestly, it's not really reforming. It's more just full on deconstruction of the faith, the Christian faith. And so, basically, with the bad part, with the bad kind of example of deconstruction, you deconstruct what you learned from the faith and everything, and just completely, like, bringing your own ideas into it and reconstruct it into a whole new false religion that eventually that could lead yourself and others down a false road into into hell. So it's, it's a very dangerous game to play. And there's a process in how this whole thing goes about. The kind of a step-by-step step process with this particular kind of deconstructionism. So there's many different reasons why people question what they learned. And usually, from what I'm kind of seeing, a lot of it has to do with a past, a past experience, like being hurt in a church. Uh, being hurt by a pastor, being hurt by a member of the church. Does it come out? This could become. This come from like an emotional hurt or like a physical, sexual abuse. Unfortunately, that does that does happen in today's churches. And so, when this happens, people will begin. These people begin to question the faith, and they start. And then when they do that, they start rejecting different parts of the of their faith. Um, for example, they start rejecting the authority of scripture. They start rejecting scripture as the ultimate, um, ultimate word of God. They see it as more of just say, um, as more just opinions by different people all throughout all throughout our history. And partic this is particular true for Paul, for some reason with deconstructionists, Paul gets attacked a lot because it's the main things that that Paul says that makes them feel uncomfortable, and so they fully ignore everything that Paul said, even though even Paul's letters are inspired are inspired is inspired word of God as well. And so, so they reject what Paul written, and they definitely reject anything in the New Testament. So they mainly fo mainly focus on what Jesus said, only just only the red letters in the Bible. And so eventually, it comes about in creating an entire new Jesus, entire new Christianity that's completely false and leads people down a bad path into hell. So first off, one thing we need to address is that church, the type of church hurt, hurt that we do see, like from emotional abuse, sexual and physical abuse, it must be stopped. It needs to be stopped. I don't know 
how that can be done practically, but it must be stopped because it has no business being the church. Because as followers of Christ, we are called to be different from the world. And, I know, of course, we're not perfect in any way. We are going to sin. But there's no excuse for that sort of behavior, especially from pastors. There's no excuse. None. And what needs to happen as well, those who are, who are hurt, those who are abused by members of the church or by leaders of the church, they need to be cared for, they need to be loved. Like show them the true love of God, care for them how He cared for us, and not just brush them to the side, kind of just ignoring their stories. We need to comfort them during that time, and but at the same time, we do need to be careful as to not really make an excuse for. The de deconstructionism we're seeing, because it's no, you can't justify it in any way. Because in scripture, especially when it comes to scripture, again, they reject the they reject the authority of scripture. They don't believe that scripture is the word of God. But then is scripture lays out the tenets of Christianity, and. And even, even the scripture itself it speaks it speaks for itself. So let's go to first uh let's go to First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Oops, sorry. Passed it. So chapter two, verse thirteen. For this reason we must constantly thank God that you when you receive the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So now let's go to Second Timothy, chapter 3, starting from verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And so, let's go to speak for ourselves that it is the inspired word of God. I mean, the translation of, of that word inspired also can be translated into breathed out. So, basically, the Bible is literally breathed out by God. And of course, it, of course we had the human writers physically writing it. You know, have Moses writing the first five books. You had, you know, Matthew, Mark, and John. You had Paul for the majority of the New Testament. You know, David and Psalms are, are part of it, at least, and, and all throughout. And so, it... So, again, so even though they physically, physically wrote it, it's still the words that came to them were breathed out by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it, that's how it, it came about. And so, but unfortunately, we are seeing this type of deconstructionism really growing within the church, like growing a good bit. And yes, like I said earlier, a lot of them come coming back from being hurt by the church and everything. And so, but there's been there's been some cases where people 
start to deconstruct because they think it's the cool new hip thing. It's the, it's, it's the more it's the loving thing because they see in their eyes biblical Christianity as bigoted, and they, they don't want to see it as being bigoted, so they do it for social reasons to, to avoid social pressure. Basically, it's peer pressure. And so it's a cool new hip thing to deconstruct the faith into and developing a new, more, more accepting faith, a more like broad faith that where everybody they don't have to change, they don't have to repent of their sins or right? anything. They just come and just hang out, and they, all we all we talk about is love, 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 love. And it, so all this really. If, oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. It leads into ultimately progressive Christianity. That's where it ultimately leads to developing that kind of this false type of Christianity that has plagued the church for many years, which leads us into our final topic for this episode. All right. So welcome to part six of the new of the false gospel series so so far we have covered um first of all we covered the mission of jesus christ you know what he came to do who he is and everything and then we move on into kind of explaining like, what is the different types of false gospels like for example the red letters movement the uh, universalism the self-love gospel liberation theology and then last week we did um uh the prosperity gospel and so this week we're doing the progressive Christianity. And so um, the first question we need to ask it: what is progressive Christianity? What does it entail of? You know, what's the details of it? Where, where it come from? So uh, God Questions kind of really explains it, this first paragraph right here. And so progressive Christianity, um, this is according to God Questions, progressive Christianity is a recent movement in Protestantism that focuses strongly on strongly on social justice, environmentalism, and often includes a revisionist or non-traditional view of scripture of the, of the scriptures. Since the movement entails a number of different beliefs and views on various topics, it is difficult to label the whole movement um, decisively as biblical or unbiblical. Each claim and belief has, of any movement should be filtered through the Word of God, and whatever does not line up with scripture should be rejected. So, basically what progressive Christianity is, is it's a movement of, in Protestant Christianity, that basically it focuses, again, like, like the article says, it focuses mostly on social issues, like social, like racial issues, um, like LGBTQ issues, again, environmentalism, and many other different causes we see, especially today. And so, you know, this uh, um, this movement we see is actually fairly recent. I mean, I think I guess it'd be traced back to the nineteen sixties with this whole progressive revolution we saw back then. So, but this movement it's really it's pretty recent within the church, and it's been for a little bit is kind of more very small. So we have the more the broader. Evangelical church that's really was un, was untouched by this, but slowly over the past like several or over the past really this past decade, honestly, um, 
the progressive Christianity has started to bleed into the evangelical church and plaguing, plaguing it. And it's very unfortunate. And we start, you know, we see the Methodist church being plagued by progressive Christianity. We see, um, a part of the more liberal part of the Presbyterian church being played by it. We see it start to bleed into the SBC and everywhere into non-denominational um, churches as well. I mean, all over. And so it's very hard to pin down where the origins came from, but it's very, again, it's very recent phenomenon within the church. So again, a lot of it, it has to do, they focus a really good bit on, Social issues like social justice and all that. And, you know, things like, you know, helping the poor, helping the needy, and everything. So, again, as the article says, there's some kind of aspects that ha of progressive Christianity that has some truth in it. Like, for example, helping the poor, help, you know, helping those in need. Um, that's, that is biblical. And that, that could be answered in James one twenty seven. Let's go there real quick. James, uh, was it, yeah, 127? Yeah, James, uh, 127. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so we see many other instances all throughout scripture kind of telling us to Care for those who are who are in need. You know, care for the orphans, care for the poor, and everything. So, that part is biblical. Although the way they go about it, it's not very biblical, which I'll get to a little bit later. But another aspect they really kind of focus on is environmentalism, kind of the crazy, you know, the global warming, climate change fanatics, and everything. They focus a good bit on that. And so they they base it off, you know, off you know in in Genesis. Again, it does have some truth in it. I mean, we are called by God to to take care of the land, to take care of the earth, and not completely destroy it, completely you know, destroy all the like all the land, just put buildings on it, and it, <laughs> that's not good. Now, I'm not advocating to to embrace like full on crazy environmentalism. I'm not advocating at all. I don't really believe in climate change, honestly. But, I do believe we do need to take care of our land and all that. And that that part, that is biblical, honestly. It is, you can find this in Genesis one twenty eight. Um, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves. And the God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surfaces of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. So, so basically, God gave man dominion over the earth to, you know, to take care of it. It was to provide food for us, so we are to sustain it and everything. So, so full on destroying the earth by, you know, whatever is not a good thing. But of course, 
full-on crazy environmentalism, climate change, global warming nonsense. That part is not biblical either. So there's a balance. We gotta be careful here. That progressive Christianity had they holding on to some truth of it, but they completely just steer it in a completely just wrong direction. And they just completely take it far into just into some completely unbiblical components. So what exactly makes progressive what exactly makes progressive Christianity overall unbiblical? Because I think, in my opinion, for when I'm what I've researched and everything, it's very hard for me to say that. Yes, there's some truth in what there was in it, but overall, it is a false gospel. Like I, I don't recommend anyone pursuing it because a lot of it, they have a very false view of the gospel, a false view of Jesus, of sin. Of scripture and all that is is fortunate. So what exactly makes it unbiblical? So let's first start. I'm kind of what we did last week. Let's break it down into different sections and kind of talk about what progressive Christianity believes and what real Christianity believes. So let's go to the inerrancy of scripture, or if you prefer, the sufficiency of scripture. So for, for uh, progressives. They don't believe that scripture is sufficient. They believe that the word of God, that um, the Bible is just a collection of different opinions that actually, that in their opinion, contradict one another. That you know we could take advice from, but ultimately we should decide ourselves. You know, you know how to go about things in our lives and everything. So that's their view of scripture. It's more to say a handbook that. Should be considered, but not really followed. But for real Christianity, of course, Scripture is the Word of God. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is sufficient. It is the ultimate authority. It is authoritative Word of God. And let's, let's go back to Second Timothy uh, chapter three, verse sixteen. Let's reread that because I really want to pinpoint pinpoint this. Second Timothy, chapter three, start verse sixteen. All Scripture inspired by, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So it's very clear that Scripture is again <laughs> the inspired word of God, as I said earlier. So that's what that's one part that that, that differentiates and that that's the main difference between Christianity and progressive Christianity. So now let's go to salvation. So for progressive Christianity, salvation in their uh, eyes is basically the collective restoration of different cultures uh, by means of socio-economic efforts, like basically through government programs and everything used on the power of the government. They could retrieve salvation for the collective um, society, for the collective culture. And they do this by following Marx, Marxism, kind of the idea of socialism, communist, communism, and everything. So that's, where, that's what they mostly, progressive Christianity mostly follows, that whole idea. 
and of course we had with uh, with uh, Christianity, true biblical Christianity. Salvation is the rescue, restoration of our of our soul of the souls of those who believe through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's the saving of sinners. And so let's go to the scripture to back this up. So first off, let's go to Isaiah fifty three. So again, we're Isaiah 53. I am going to read the whole thing. And again, this is what John MacArthur calls the the first gospel, which is, it, it is pretty true, honestly. So anyways, um, here's Isaiah 53, and it's basically the biggest, the best prediction of what Jesus came to do in the Old Testament. So anyways, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender tender shoot, and like a root out of, out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, and a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and like one of from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was ch the chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He, like a lamb, has led to slaughter, and like a, like a sheep that is silent before his shears. He, so he did not open his mouth. By, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who was, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the trans transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, he gave was a, he his grave was his grave sorry was assigned with wicked men, he was with a rich man in his death, <clears throat> because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He if he were if he would. Render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper, prosper in his hand. As a result, the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will be will justify the many, as he will bear the iniqu their iniquities. Therefore, I will lot him a portion of the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and he and was numbered with our transgressors yet he himself bore the sin of many and and interceded for the transgressors okay. 
So that was Isaiah 53 right there. So now let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 31. Uh, sorry, start first, uh, 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So now let's go to Romans, uh, sorry, not Romans, uh, John chapter 3, starting from verse uh, 14. Starting again, John 3, starting from verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So now let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, for but the free gift of God is eternal life, and Christ Jesus our Lord. So now let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13. So again, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curse is every one who hangs on a tree. So now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15. Oh, wait. Yeah, we passed. Anyways, again, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It has a tr trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world of saved sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And finally, let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Oops, sorry about that. So again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not for us only, but for, all, for also for those of the whole world. So the scripture is very clear on what salvation was and what Jesus came to do and everything. So basically, that salvation is the saving of sinners through the death, burial, resurrection through Jesus Christ. And so, kind of related to that, um, the next part I want to get to is... Of Jesus, you know, what's the different with the views of Jesus? 
So for, for progressive Christianity, they see that Jesus was the very first Marxist, the very first first uh, socialist. His goal was to bring about you know social change, to bring about you know this you know to tear down the system and everything, to to tear down the patriarchy. So that's his main goal, and also he was all about love, 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 love. Didn't care you know what you did. And everything he was he was there for he was a political figure pretty much, according to progressive Christianity. Now according to real Christianity, he was not a political figure. He was not a political revolutionary. Jesus is the Son of the Living God. He's God in flesh. He was the Messiah, the Christ who came to save sinners. And yes, he was loving. He's definitely kind and gentle, but he's also fierce and confrontational. Yes, he was always, he is always good. Always. There's not a single evil thing in his bone. But he was always nice according to our standards. He was, he was, he was confrontational. He confronted people of their false teachings, you know, and everything, of their sins, and all that. And so, see, that's kind of, the difference between how progressive Christianity views Jesus and how Christianity views Jesus. And so the final part is sin. So for, for uh, progressive Christianity, sin is just a construct that we created to really keep folks down. And unless you're rich, if you're rich and powerful and happen to support the, the wrong candidate, then uh, you are a true sinner. But everyone else, you know... You don't, you're not a sinner, you're perfect in everything. You get, you gotta believe in yourself to get rid of all those negative thoughts and all that. But of course, with with a true Christianity, that is not the case. Sin is a very thing that plagues all of humanity and it's responsible for the death, pain, and suffering we see, for the poverty we see, the sickness, and it's because of sin entering humanity. <clears throat> and it's not a single person. Jesus was the only man who walked on earth who was without sin. Everyone else is a sinner. It was a sinner. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Every single person to, to, today in 2021 is a sinner. It's not a single perfect person walking on earth right now today. Not a single one. And so... Again, like I said earlier, there's, there's some aspects of a progressive Christianity that are biblical. But broadly speaking, it is just another false gospel. It is another false gospel that people will need to stay away from. Because really, I mean, despite it having the true, some true aspects, anything that contradicts the true gospel is a false gospel, plain and simple. I mean, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 right here. Let's go to it real quick. So Galatians chapter 1, starting from verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another one, but... Only there are some who are disturbing you in what to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel, gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So again, not only Paul is saying this, but also Jesus warned against false teachers and, 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 and all that. And so, I mean, false gospels are a serious matter. So, again, that's why I do the series, because to warn people about this. Because again, it can be so close to the truth, but it can still contradict the gospel just enough to make it false. And again, with the progressive Christianity, there are many aspects of it that just really contradict you know, how they view Jesus, how they view the gospel and everything, that just really contradict what the true gospel is. And so that's why people should really, really try to stay away from this stuff. Really try to stay away and just follow the word of God and you know follow the true Jesus Christ according to his word according to the gospel. All right, so now we move on to Acts. So we're going to continue on in Acts chapter 12. We're slowly, surely going through this chapter. There's a book overall. Sorry about that. So again, we're Acts chapter 12, and we're left off last on verse 10. So we're going to be starting at verse 11. So I'm going to give you background. Uh, Peter was sent to a jail in this chapter for preaching the gospel. But an angel um, came to him and freed him from the jail, and now he's escaped. So here is um, Peter, you know, now going to um, his fellow um fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, into telling, you know, what happened and everything. So we're picking up in uh, verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all of the that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked on the door of the, of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because her because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and were gonna announce that Peter was standing in the front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him in a word maze. So we're going to stop right there for right now, I guess. Yeah, stop right there for now. So we have Peter, you know, escaping from prison, from the jail. And so he comes to uh, Mary's house, who is the mother of John, also called Mark. So basically, I guess that's Mark. The author of the Gospel, Mark, who, had a, who has a mother named Mary. There's so many Marys and Johns and James. I swear, there's so ma so many 
of the same names. It's very difficult to keep track on who, but I'm pretty sure this is not like Mary, Mother Jesus, and Apostle John. This this is Mark and his mother, who's also named Mary. It's very confusing. I mean, even Mary, Mother Jesus, had a miss sister named named Mary. Apparently, like, <laughs> I mean. I'm glad today that names are at least a little more diverse and more spread out, and they haven't everybody like people in the same family with the same name, unless it's like Robert the first, Robert the second, Robert the third, or whatever. That's that's different. But having like siblings with the same name that can be pretty confusing. But you got, see here, you know, you know, they come. Peter comes to the gate, and you see this uh, summer girl, you know, amazed by it. You know, she tells people inside, you know, hey, Peter's here. But I guess they assumed that Peter was dead. So that's why they didn't believe her right away until they heard and saw Peter themselves. So next week, we're going to continue on with chapter 12 and probably finishing off this section right, right here and then eventually get into chapter 13 and all that. Alright, so now let's move on to the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. Or really just the good stuff. Honestly, I keep I'm messing up with that. So from good stuff of the week, and so yes again, I am going to talk about Spider-Man, but not about No Way Home. So this is a a different Spider-Man movie coming out. So this is, um, it's called Spider-Man Across, Across the Spider-Verse. So this is a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, who's an animated movie, Spider-Man movie that came out in 2018. It was very well done. A very well done movie. And this was the movie that really introduced me to Miles Morales. And that's two different uh, meetings that introduced me to Miles Morales. It was this movie and the Spider-Man PS4 game that introduced me to him. And both of them do a good job. Into where I'm attached to the guy, and I do consider him Spider-Man. I mean, of course, Peter Parker is the all-time best, but I, I do consider Morales to be Spider-Man. Even though there's a lot of people who don't agree with that. I guess the comics don't really handle his character very well, apparently. But, in my opinion, this movie and that game really handle his character very well. And... Um, I'll kind of continue on with that just a little bit, but here's actually the trailer for, um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Here's the trailer for this movie right here. Sorry. Is this the room you grew up in? Uh, it, it is, but uh, my, my dorm room is very adult. Right. No, of course. Hey, are these your drawings? What? No, oh, no. Good. 
missed you too. Okay. So, what are you doing here? I, I mean, I, I thought I'd never see you again. Want to get out of here? I'm grounded. Bummer. What? Is Spider-Man grounded? Um. Uh, I mean, I. So it's very interesting. This trailer is very interesting. Kind of, uh, um, where it's going in terms of the plot is very confusing because obviously Spider Verse deals with the multiverse and everything. So I'm very curious if maybe the events on No Way Home come into play here. Because if you remember at the end of the first Spider Verse movie, um, where the machine that allowed all the different spider people come to that universe, you know, they eventually went back to their own universes and the machine was just completely destroyed. So there's no other way to travel to different, uh, different universes. So there's a possibility the events are no way home without a strange putting that, pulling that spell off that it could have messed with the fabric of reality I mean, it did. It messed with fat reality all throughout the multiverse. So it could have an effect here as well. I mean, we saw at the end of Venom, spoiler alert for the, um, for those who have not seen Venom 2, uh, at the, for the post-credits scene, we see, this is in the Sony universe, by the way, we see Venom and Tom Hardy's, uh, yeah, Tom Hardy's, um, gosh, what's his name? Brock, Eddie, Eddie Brock. Yeah, sorry about that. Anyways, um, we see them be transported into the MCU universe. So obviously, obviously the multiverse can be dealt with, not just with the MCU but also the Sonyverse. So that those events could have an effect within this plot of this movie. So very interesting. See what comes out of it. But again, um. A lot of people very not theorizing about this. A lot of people are saying that this would be a way for Miles Morales be to be introduced, be brought in into oh, excuse me to into the MCU. Um, personally, I don't agree with that. Personally, I think the MCU should really develop Miles. First off, they need to really develop Peter, um, Tom Holland's Peter first, because when they get into his next trilogy, 
is really focused on building him up into the classic Spider. I mean, we all know. Eventually, if someone read down the road, introduce him, in, introduce him to Miles, let them become close, and have Miles be bitten by the spider, and then have Peter, you know, train him to become Spider-Man, and just eventually have Miles take over Peter's place, and then so forth. That's how I think they should really play. That's probably the smartest move to play. Whether they do that, I don't know, but hopefully they, that's how they go about doing that because I think that's the best way to develop Miles and to so we know and not just put him in and just kind of a good way to kind of retire Peter's character overall into the and MCU. If you're if you're, if you're it's gonna be very interesting how they go about it. All right, so we're back here next week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is God of Freedom Show. If you enjoy this episode of the God of Freedom Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find the show on our podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening and watching, and as always, all glory to be to God. Trouble.